If you've already opened up your Bibles there to Acts chapter 8, I want you to just keep your place there. But I want to I begin today by taking a glimpse into the future uh, of the story of Acts over in Acts chapter 21. And so uh, most scholars think that Acts chapter 21, we're about 25 years later from where we are in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, uh, coming back from his third missionary journey. He had just met with the elders there in Ephesus and had that emotional farewell with him. He lands at Tyre, makes his way down the coast of Caesarea, where he'll make the final leg of his journey by land to Jerusalem. And we read there in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, and we stayed there for a number of days. Now, when you're, when you're reading through Acts and you see the pronoun we, what that means is that Luke was present. If you haven't known that before, that's helpful as you read through Acts. When you come across we, Luke is writing, uh, and when he uses the pronoun we, he's letting you know that he was there. It wasn't just eyewitness testimony that he was writing down. He was there. He was an eyewitness. Uh, We know that Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. Um, And so by using we here in Acts 21, verse 8, we know that Luke was there with Paul at the home of Philip for several days. And I really like that. That kind of, that gives me great joy because I like thinking about Paul and Luke and Philip sitting around the kitchen table one night, just drinking whatever the equivalent of first century coffee is, um, and sharing stories, sharing 25 years worth of stories. They've been a part of this amazing growth of the church and this mission, this kingdom mission out into the world. And And Paul's been on missionary journeys, and Philip is actually the only one in all the New Testament that's given this title, the evangelist, by Luke here. And so Philip has all these stories to share, these evangelism stories about how he has seen the Lord work. And I love just kind of thinking about Luke there, just taking notes, right, just listening to the story, and whether he's literally writing down notes or just keeping the notes in, 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 mentally as they share stories. Um, it's, just a, it's just a neat thing for me to think about. Um, what about you? Do you have a good evangelism story? Like if you had been around the table that night, would you have a, an evangelism story that you would share? Um, I, I have one, one of my favorites, and I just want to share it this morning. It happened back in 1998. And I was, a part of a, I was a part of a group that went to the Fiji Islands, and uh, we were there with several college students, and one of our college students had the privilege of studying the Bible that week with a young Fijian man named Charlie. And so Charlie gave his life to Christ and was baptized, and it was just, it was wonderful to watch the transformation of this young man. Um, He came in curious and skeptical. He gave his life to Christ. He was baptized into his name, and he was just on fire. 
he, he took part, and the rest of the time we were there, he was with us. He never left us. He sat in on other Bible studies. He ate meals with us. He just was soaking it up. He was just learning, and it was great. There was also a young lady named Louisa. Louisa was from New Zealand. She had just finished uh, high school. She was 19 years old. And before she started the university, she decided she was going to take a trip all by herself to Fiji Islands. So she got on a boat and took an eight-day boat trip from New Zealand to Fiji. And here she was, first time in Fiji, all by herself, just kind of enjoying herself before she had to go back and go to university. And she was staying at the same hostel that our group was staying at. And so she, she didn't know anybody else, and so she, she hung with us. And she'd go eat, eat with us. She'd go and worship with us. Um, several of our girls in our group started sharing the Bible with her, but she just really wasn't interested. She just was enjoying being with us. And on the very last day, she was, she was leaving to go back. We were still there, and she was leaving to go back. That morning, Charlie and Louisa and several of our college students went downtown on the bus just to hang out that morning and have breakfast. And Louisa was standing next to Charlie, this brand-new Christian. And she says to him, I've noticed a huge change in your life this week. Can you tell me about it? And they sat down on the bus. The others got off to go to breakfast. Charlie shares the gospel with Louisa. And that afternoon, all of us went down to the Pacific Ocean. Charlie baptized Louisa into the name of Jesus before she got back on the boat to head to New Zealand. That's a good story. And isn't God good? Man, when we get to see the Lord work firsthand, in person, Man, it's just awesome. It does so much for us. It encourages us, right? It encourages us. It kind of gives us like a, just a shot of encouragement. And that's what we have here in Acts chapter 8. Luke wrote down two of Philip's evangelism stories. One's about a magician in Samaria, and the other's about a eunuch from Ethiopia. Luke tells us uh, in Acts chapter 21 that Philip was one of the seven, right? Now, we're familiar with the 12, not as familiar with the seven. You know, the seven were originally chosen to, to help with the distribution of the food to the widows. However, two of the seven, Stephen and Philip, seem to have transitioned into some more public roles, Right? Um, now, we really, we don't know anything else about the other five of the seven, but both Stephen and Philip have a prominent role here in Luke's telling of the story in Acts. Chapter 6 and 7 were about the ministry of Stephen, and chapter 8 is about the ministry of Philip, and they provide the link between the apostles being the witnesses in Jerusalem and Paul being a witness to the ends of the earth. Stephen and Philip are the, are the in-between. 
Both of these men have become preaching evangelists themselves. Both perform public signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, just like the apostles. And the Lord would powerfully use their ministry of, of these two men to move the gospel out of Jerusalem to Samaria and then out to the ends of the earth. And we spent several weeks looking at the ministry of Stephen uh, and his impact on the mission. And these next two weeks, I want us to look at Philip the Evangelism, Philip the Evangelist here in Acts chapter 8. Um, and look at these two stories. These are just two great stories. These are stories that you, those of you who have, who have been in the church from a, from a, as a young person have heard these stories and are familiar, and they're great stories, and, and today we're going to look at this story of Philip uh, in Samaria. And my, the outline of my sermon is very simple this morning. Um, I just want to share with you four takeaways. There's just four observations based on my reading and studying of the text here in Acts chapter 8. Just four things that I felt that God put on my heart this week as I studied and read these verses that I wanted to share with you today. So here are the four things. First it is wherever and whenever and whoever. That's the first one. Second one is proclaim his name. Third, don't forget about the Spirit. Fourth, repent from the intent. So those are the, that's the outline, just four takeaways, observations from uh, this story today as we study God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we ha- are, have opened up your Word, as Gregory has always sh- already shared it with us, I pray that our hearts are open to what you have for us to hear, that, uh, that you will take just something something that's presented here, and just plant it deep in our hearts and, and change us, change us today through your word. We, we trust, we believe that your word is living and active, that it's unlike any other book, and that the Holy Spirit can take these words and we can li- leave here today different. And so, Lord, do that work in us as we spend these few minutes in your word. I pray this for the name of Jesus. Amen. First, first observation, first thing is wherever and whenever and whoever. That's the first one. I wasn't asking you a question. Sorry about that. Come on. <laughs> this section of Acts begins with Luke writing these words. Those who had been scattered preach the word wherever they went. So those who have been scattered do, we learned last week, due to the persecution that broke out against the church that very day that Stephen was stoned, those who are scattered, these believers who had to leave Jerusalem, they didn't go into hiding as I might have been tempted to, But instead, Luke tells us they preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, if you circle or highlight the one that I highlighted and circled and underlined uh, this week is this word, wherever. Man, that, that word got me this week. Wherever. 
Ah, the, I mean, the Lord just took that word and just, ah. I mean, Luke here, he, he refers to these men and women alike. These aren't just those gifted with the evangelism. It's not just those who have that role in the church. Or, these are men and women. These are families alike who have had to be scattered due to the persecution of the church. And they preach the word wherever they went. And if you think about it, the crazy thing is these people are refugees. They're on the run. They're fleeing for their very lives. They've lost their homes, most likely lost all their belongings. They have loved ones that were told in verse 3 that have been dragged off to prison. They're separated from their families. If there was ever a group of people that had a reason to push pause for a moment from sharing the good news for a while, it was these folks because they were displaced. They're having to figure out what they're going to eat, where they're going to stay. Yet Luke tells us wherever they went, they preached the word wherever they went. Man, that's just, I, that's just been a really good word for me this week. And so I, I just broadened it to wherever and whenever and whoever. Because I, I, I personally want to have the courage to be open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ wherever and whenever, whoever. So that's the first observation and takeaway. Second is proclaim his name. Because you, you share the first, and then you're like, well, what, what would I say? Okay, I'm open. I, the, the Lord's given me the courage to be open to sharing the good news, but what do I say? So second, just proclaim his name. It doesn't have to be difficult. Luke makes these three statements about the activity of Philip here in Acts chapter 8. Listen to these verses. Verse 5, Philip went to a city in Samaria and told the people there about Christ. Verse 12, Philip preached the good news of the kingdom of God and spoke the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 35, what we're going to look at next week with the Ethiopian. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. These verses really encourage me as I read them over and over again this week because Luke describes Philip as someone here who just wants to tell others about Jesus. That's it. And that's what I want. I just want to be someone as I go throughout my day. The name of Jesus is on my lips. I point people to Jesus. I want to make a big deal about the person of Jesus Christ. I want to spend the rest of my life on this earth making his name known and great. That's what I see Philip doing here as, as he goes out, and it encourages me. You know, Luke sets up 
a stark contrast in these verses. And a cursory reading might not catch it, but I think he purposefully sets up this contrast in these verses between Philip, the evangelist, and Simon, the sorcerer, the magician. You see, Philip meets a man named Simon in Samaria. Luke tells us that Simon had practiced magic in the city. He's amazed all the people of Samaria. And then in verse 9, is the, is the, the end of verse 9 is the sentence I want you to see. There it says, Luke tells us that he, Simon, boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, said, he's right. He's great. And so here's the contrast. You have Philip who shows up with one simple purpose, to proclaim the name of Jesus. And you have Simon who was proclaiming his name, boasting that he was someone great. You see, all Simon wanted to do was to bring attention to himself. He wants to make his name great. He wants to make a big deal about himself. So when Peter and John arrive onto the scene and they pray for the believers there, lay their hands on them, and the believers receive the Holy Spirit, verse 18, we read, when Simon saw that the Spirit came at the laying on of their hands, he offered them money. It's really, he was like, yeah, hey, I'll give you money. I, I want that ability. Can I, can I do that? I, I've got, how much, how much? Isn't that interesting? I, Simon is presented with the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Simon believed and was baptized. Simon believed and was baptized, but had not yet received the Spirit. And now he has the opportunity to receive the Spirit. But instead, he asked Peter and John if he could have the ability to give the Spirit. You see, and maybe you've struggled with this yourself or you know people who struggle with this, but for Simon, it was all about him. It was all about him. He couldn't wait to get on social media and let everybody know what he's doing. He couldn't wait to proclaim his name and get all the likes and all the attention. It was all about him. He only wanted to use the gift of the Holy Spirit to proclaim his name. He only wanted to use the gift of the Holy Spirit to make his name great. It was John the Baptist who showed us the way when he said, I must become less, and he must become greater, referring to Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's what I see here in the life of Philip. That's how he lived his life. And man, such in stark contrast here to Simon. 
who was all about him. That's what I want for my life. I, I, I want people to know more of him and less of me. I want to be able to say that about my interactions with people, that they leave me knowing more of him and less of me. So proclaim his name, the name of Jesus. That's the second takeaway or observation. Third, don't forget about the Spirit. You know, verse 16 is one of the most interesting verses in all of Acts. Luke tells us there that the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the question to ask when you read that is, well, how is that possible? What's that all about? Because at Pentecost, at at Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, Peter had promised the gift of the Spirit to those who repented and were baptized. So what's happening here? What's the deal? How could the Samaritans have believed, genuinely believed, and been baptized they had accepted the word of God, were baptized, they believed, were baptized, but they hadn't received the Spirit. What's going on? Well, a lot has been written about this, but most scholars think that God delayed the Holy Spirit temporarily for this reason. He wanted Peter and John there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is given to us in order to make community possible. The only way that you and I can get together in community and can get along and can work through hard things with one another and who can reconcile our differences and who who can be there to support and encourage one another when things are hard, when things are rough, is the Holy Spirit. That's it. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes that possible. And so, if, if, if you're unaware of the situation here, the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. The Apostle John tells us in John 4, 8, that the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans, yet here they were. Because of the persecution... Scattered wherever they went, they're in Samaria. So the question is now that the gospel has been received by the Samaritans, would the Samaritan Christians be received by the Jewish Christians? I like how one author puts it. He writes, it's very likely that these two groups could have found Christ without finding one another. That's, that's a lot easier and less messy. You find Christ, I'll find Christ, and we won't find each other. And so Peter and John came, and they prayed for the Samaritan believers, and they laid their hands on them. And just to give you some context here that I think is important, in the first century, the laying on of hands was a symbol of fellowship and unity. 
I kind of I think about, like, if we're going to take a picture together and I, I put my arm around you, right? That's a, that's a sign of friendship, of, of fellowship. If we meet out here in the, in the foyer and I shake your hand, that's a sign of fellowship and, and unity that we have together. And that's what this was, the laying on of hands by Peter and John. It was this important public symbol of fellowship and unity. And with this... Peter and John received the Samaritans into the community, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. This moment has been called the Samaritan Pentecost. It was the moment when the exalted Jesus poured out the promised Holy Spirit onto the Samaritans. So there was a Jewish Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There'll be a Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10. And this is the Samaritan Pentecost here in Acts chapter 8. You know, this is what I love about sharing the good news of the gospel. Um, When we share the gospel and we share the fullness of the good news, you know, we, we, we emphasize the need for the forgiveness of sins, and rightly so. But, but do not forget about the Spirit. We must also emphasize the need for reconciliation. The Holy Spirit is given. The fruit of the Spirit is created in our lives to bring friendship, to bring community, to, to, to bring healing to broken relationships, to bring reconciliation. Without the, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, none of that happens. And so we want to preach the need for the forgiveness of sins with the gospel, but don't forget about the Spirit. The Spirit's given to, to bring the, the Jewish Christians together with the Samaritan Christians. The Holy Spirit's the one who empowers us to become friends with our enemies. And so that's the third. And then fourth, lastly this morning, repent from the intent. Repent from the intent. Simon wanted to purchase the ability to give the Holy Spirit to someone else. Now, of course, Peter tells him that's not happening. Not going to do that. Uh, and I, I, I don't want you to miss this. You, you need to see this in verse uh, 21. This is, this is really key. Um, the reason that he gives to him as to why he can have no part in what they're doing, he says, it's because your heart's not right before God. You see, it's always about your heart. God wants your heart. Peter tells Simon to repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, right, the exalted Jesus, pray to him, and perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. The real problem 
always goes deeper than our outward actions. What Simon needed forgiveness from was the thought in his heart. Did you catch that? Simon asking for the ability to give the Spirit was a bad request outwardly, right? But the real issue is that Simon's heart inwardly is full of bitterness, Peter said. I really believe this to to be true. Someone can change the outward actions of their life without ever changing the inward attitude of their heart. Someone can change the outward actions of their life without ever changing the inward attitudes of their heart. In Simon's case, he could have retired from magic and gone into full-time ministry. We don't know exactly what happens to him. Maybe he did that. He could do that, and his heart could still remain full of bitterness. Bitter that he couldn't get what he wanted. Bitter that the apostles could do something that he couldn't. Bitter that he had lost his position of prominence in the city. Bitter that he was no longer the center of attention. And that's not repentance. Repentance has to do with the heart. Repentance is about getting to the heart of the issue. For our hearts to be right with God, we have to repent from the intent of our hearts from the motivations and the intentions of our heart. I love that John's here. I love that John came with Peter to this event, laid his hands on the Samaritan converts and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come into their lives. You know, this is, the, this is the final time we see John in Luke's telling of the story. You remember the first time we met John in Luke's telling of the story back in Luke chapter 9? It was after the people in a Samaritan village would not welcome Jesus. He and his brother James asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Of course, Jesus rebuked the brothers, and they went to another village. The first time we're introduced to John, he wants to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. The last time we see John, he prays for the fire of the Holy Spirit to fill the Samaritans. That's repentance. That's a request that comes from a heart of repentance. And as Gregory prayed for our children as they left this morning, my invitation to us as we wrap up today is this, repent. Repent. You know, repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance is a life. It's a life. God wants to change the intentions and motivations of our hearts. That's where he wants to get 
Oh, we think, well, if we just clean up on the outside and we show up here and we do this and and that, no. God wants to change, to transform the intentions and the motivations, the thoughts of our hearts. So repent. Give your heart fully, more fully to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We acknowledge, just as Peter said these words to Simon, we acknowledge, too, that our hearts can be full of bitterness or fear, anger, jealousy. Our hearts can be full of, full of, of those things and captive to sin. And so we bring our hearts before you and we, we repent. We repent of the intent. And we give you our hearts. And we ask that you will transform us. That you'll change us. That you'll make us new. Father, we're thankful. Lord Jesus, we're thankful to you that you have been exalted to the right hand of the Father and you are there to forgive us, to, to pour out your spirit and your forgiveness on us. And we just come to you and we bring your heart anew today and we repent. Whatever our heart may have been full of entering this room, we pray we repent from that and we pray that we leave full of you, full of the hope and the joy and the love that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.